Hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball. The Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman. And this week, you know, our task is easy. The Bundesliga season came to a close this past weekend. It is our job now to talk about how it all ended and what it all means. With me this week, two familiar faces. We got Nick Wildhagen. Hello. Hi there. Hi there. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm drinking beer. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Keeping the well, well-honored uh, Norwegian tradition of having uh, awake beer. You know, after, after funerals, people drink beer in Norway, which I think is a, it's a great tradition. And uh, I, I'm pondering if the thing that destroys me should be destroyed. And, and that is, of course, football. Bundesliga football, to be more precise. Yep. We're going to be talking about the, the dearly departed later on the show, of course. And also with us is Reese Tickwell. Good to have you back. Hi, how's it going? It's going good. It's going on. Okay. Okay. I, I woke up really, really <laughs> early this morning, earlier than I prefer, <laughs> much earlier. So, you know, I could be better, but, you know, it could be worse too. Okay. So anyway, on the show, in just a moment, we're going to be uh, moving on to all topics Bundesliga-ish. We're going to have the, the jubilation in Munich. We're going to have misery in Bremen, a uh, miracle in Cologne, and uh, quite a bit more. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball. You know what this part is. It's the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 34. And, you know, there's different kinds of bests, as as you well know. There's bests in terms of the best in the league. The best in the league, as uh, it has been for the last nine seasons, was Bayern München. More than meets the eye this time around. Not only do we have uh, a league title, but we also had uh, a historic moment, that being in <laughs> the waning minutes of Bayern's 5-2 win over Augsburg on match day 34. You know, this was a game that basically was a blowout from pretty early on. Bayern were scoring at will. But the weird thing about it was the guy who everyone expected to score wanted to score, was crossing their fingers for him to score, wasn't scoring. Robert Lewandowski, he was on 40 goals heading into the match day, tied with Gerd Müller for that uh, long-standing Bundesliga single-season goal-scoring record. And then, lo and behold, right before the final whistle blew, he got his goal. Man, I feel like this was, was, this was a particularly fitting end to, uh, you know, what was a historic season from, from Lewandowski. Nick, it looks like you're, you're getting ready to say something. Yeah. I mean, fair play to Ginkovic, who really kept him out on, on several occasions. His, his, his countryman really had a, had a stunner in the Augsburg goal. And, um, it, it could have been more than 5-2, to be honest, because Augsburg actually squandered the penalties, so they could have had more goals. And Bayern squandered a lot of good chances, and Robert Lewandowski squandered a few, fair few chances, and Ginkiewicz kept it out time and time again until, you know, the dying moments of the match. But yeah, there, there was actually a, a lot at stake in, in terms of, of Bayern Bundesliga history, because on the face of it, this seemed like a, a match that, where Augsburg had nothing left to play for. They were in the league. That's all they cared about towards the end of the season. And then there was uh, Bayern, who had already won the league, who couldn't be caught by anybody. But hey, if Bayern had scored eight goals, they would have equal. They would have established a new goal scoring record in the Bundesliga. Seven goals, they would have equaled their own goal scoring record, and six goals, they would have equaled last season's record of of one hundred goals. 
So surprise, surprise, Bayern came out flying and they really wanted to score a boatload of goals, which they did. And um, Augsburg, they, they came out and played some football too. So it was a bit like a friendly where both teams at times went for it and both teams scored a fair few pretty goals. And yeah, that end there to that very historic COVID season is pretty fitting for both Bayern and especially for, for Robert Lewandowski. Yeah, 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 for sure. And then this was very much a, a game, not only of, of great highs from Bayern. This is, you know, as I mentioned before, this is their ninth straight title. You had their star striker breaking a very, you know, illustrious record. But you also had the sort of bittersweet bits. You had a lot of folks uh, saying goodbye to this club. I mean, Hansi Flick, he's the most successful Bayern coach by points per game, <laughs> even though he was only there for about, you know, a season and th- two thirds ish. But that's a pretty big deal. And then three players who have served the club for a really long time. Javi Martinez, David Alaba, and probably most of all, in my opinion, Jerome Boateng. These guys were all pretty emotional. After the game, they were the ones that, um, you know, Manuel Neuer, the captain, when he was, you know, basically given the right to sort of choose who he wanted to lift the, uh, the, the, the Meisterschale. He made sure that those three guys had their hands on the trophy to put it up in the air for the big moment, which I thought was a nice, a nice gesture. What, Reese, how do you put in context the departure of three guys like this who have contributed a lot and also have been kind of the backbone at times of, of, you know, different parts of Bayern's defense? Yeah, I think that even if, uh, you know, Martinez is perhaps not playing as as much as he once was or Boateng is perhaps, you know, in the latter part of his career now, perhaps not even at the best that he once was. I think with the exception of, of Alaba, who's obviously moved into a more central role over time, I think just having these players around in the dressing room and now they're obviously departing, I think it's going to leave a big hole. And not only that, um, these players are going to need to be replaced. And that's not an easy thing to do, trying to gel lots of new different players coming into the side. I think Javier Martinez especially is, is going to be difficult to uh, replace in terms of that. He is actually a sort of player who uh, can fill a lot of roles. And uh, at the same time, he doesn't complain too much when he sits on the bench. And he sort of was at peace with that That role that he took being sort of a backup in several positions and you know getting playing time here and there and uh, whenever he got playing time he actually did a magnificent job for for the Bavarians so replacing that is uh, is trickier than you might imagine because if you get in somebody young somebody uh, you know new they want to play straight away and uh, Martinez he's been a loyal servant to that club for almost a decade and uh, same goes for Alaba same goes for Boateng and uh, yeah those, those three players have truly been part of a decade that has really shaped Bundesliga history and this is really the golden age of Bayern Munich in terms of (laughs) winning trophies domestically so seeing those three go is a truly sad moment for both for the fans and the players but I do think that Bayern are just going to be are are going to be just fine because a diode of Meccano is already coming together with Julian Nagelsmann so another two or three shrewd transfers and um off the Bavarian juggernaut goes once again, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of shrewd transfers, we are hearing about a particularly shrewd one if it comes off. I mean, it, it's not it's not a definite. It's there, there are competition for this guy's signature. But Jorginho Wijnaldum of uh, Liverpool, 
Looks like he's uh, in search of a new club, and he's somebody who is attracting interest not just from Bayern but from Barcelona and perhaps others. I mean, he's you know he's a big player for a play, for a team that's that's won a lot, and he's also a bit of a Swiss Army knife of a player. I mean, definitely comes from a different background from from you know. Javi Martinez, but he, you know, he's played a lot as fullback, as a wing striker, as a holding midfielder. He, you know, isn't going to do exactly the same things as as uh, Martinez, but um, he can do a lot of things for you. Yeah, and uh, I would also point to the fact that Hernandez is still at the club and probably going to stay. And uh, I, I, I would think that his amount of playing time is, is going to increase under Julian Nagelsmann going forward. So, um yeah, Bayern are going to be just fine. And yes, as I said, Vinaldum would be a great transfer. Upamecano is a great transfer. I, I mean, what that Ronaldo transfer speaks to is, is the fact that they're, they're not just eyeing the Bundesliga. They're also looking, sort of looking at the Champions League and thinking, well, we we could give that another go as well because going out in the quarterfinals is truly disappointing for, for a club of Bayern's stature. Yeah, yeah. Those are the players you want, especially when they are on free transfers, which Bayern always has an eye for. Before we leave this game and its context behind, I just want to spare a quick thought about Augsburg. Reese, earlier in the season, I guess before the, the, the Marcus Weinseal <laughs> revolution hit FC Augsburg, you saw a fair bit of them. What is it that they need to do, perhaps, to get back to the point where they are a solid mid-table side, occasionally challenging for Europe, rather than a sometimes mid-table side, usually getting themselves out of a relegation jam? I think that one of the things that Vinesteel has done is he's got you know the squad back to basics and got them doing those things well, particularly Nila Lechner, for example, who you know couldn't hit a barn door at the beginning of the season, unlike last season. But towards the end of the season, he started scoring goals again. I think Augsburg in general have, have struggled to score goals this season. So whether it comes through additions, if the funds are there, of course, and of course they're going to be more time than usual with with what's going on in the world or whether it just be as i say you know getting the best out of your need legners on caligari and, and players like that yeah i think there is the seed of a decent side in there it just felt like malpractice for a while davy selko is going to be on the market <laughs> exactly <laughs> I, I have a feeling uh if 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 uh old Hertha can recoup a fair bit of their investment they might uh they might not turn uh, their their money away. Okay, well, I, that, that's probably enough about Augsburg at the moment. They did have uh, a pretty meh season, despite the fact that they got themselves out of the relegation conversation with a few weeks to spare. But the reason why I want to move on, for the most part, is I don't know. I, I'm, I'm looking back at this season, especially the final match day, and looking at the takeaways. And for me... You know, aside from Lewandowski breaking a record of, you know, basically 50 years standing, the other thing that happened for the first time in over 40 years is Werder Bremen going down to the Zweite Bundesliga. Nick is, uh, is, he's, it's a bit of a facepalm situation. He seems to have re- recovered a little bit. Yeah, this was a really sad way for them to go out. It was a, a, a 4-2 loss at home to Borussia Mönchengladbach, which, you know, losing to Gladbach, it happens. A lot of teams lose to Gladbach. They're a good team on their day. But this just didn't look like a game that they 
were sort of ready to play for. I mean, they went down early. They had, you know, a couple of chances to get back in the game early. They squandered them. All of a sudden, it was 4-0, and the game was just lost. You know, two goals toward the end, you know, the Germans call that a Gabeness cosmetic. You know, it's basically uh, makeup for the uh, the result. But this was this was poor, man. How how did that how did it feel to take that in? Well, it's sort of like when when you watch the game and and you're going down after three minutes and you see that Cologne are playing Schalke and you've seen the last nine weeks and you've seen a cup semifinal that was lost and eight out of the other nine Bundesliga matches that had been lost in in you know over those last ten matches and you think yeah there's there's probably no way back because. I mean, Werder Bremen, this is this is a situation of, of their own making, really, because they haven't acted quickly enough. They haven't acted swiftly enough. They've stayed... They've, ho- they've hovered too long around the question whether or not they wanted to let Florian Kohfeldt go, and um, I understand that he is well-liked within the club. He's a fan of the club. He's a guy who's grown up in Bremen. He's a local. He's well-liked both amongst the fans, the board, and everybody at the club. So letting him go was always going to be painful. But bringing in a coach with five days to go in such a situation was never going to turn things around because coaches need at least four or five matches to, you know, do something about, you know, turning a trend around. So I think it's when you're on 30 points after 24 match days, you should be safe. I you know I I think Ulm back in two thousand and one or whatever it was they had this dreadful nine uh, one loss or something that or nine nil loss that we featured on on the historic match day moments on on Patreon they too had you know such a spell where they uh, sort of were on many points after twenty four twenty five match days and then they collapsed entirely and and you know that that's that's what's been going on because when you look look at those matches individually all of those 10 matches that Voda played during those between match day 25 and 34 you know i mean many of those matches were lost by one goal or two goals but you really don't if you look at those matches individually you think all of those matches were lost deservedly so so it's it's sort of the hesitancy of the board to pull the trigger the solution of bringing in Thomas Schaaf, who stands for attacking football, which is probably not the, the sort of thing that a side in this this sort of situation needs. Yes, Thomas Schaaf turned things around in 99, but back then you have to keep in mind that Bremen had a much more talented squad and uh, the problems lay elsewhere. What you really would have needed is a, is a coach who went back to what Kofeld was doing at the start of the season, emphasizing defense, playing nasty football. Once Kofeld turned away from that, Werder started losing matches. I mean, after that Bielefeld match, he said, okay, now we want to play attacking football again. Turns out that wasn't necessarily the right recipe for the rest of the season because if he'd gone another four or five matches with, you know, the nasty football and um, gotten another three or four points, we wouldn't be talking about this. So it's, it's, it's a case of this development, that step of developing the team further, it was necessary. Yes, I absolutely agree. I saw, I see the need as well from from a coaching point of view and from, you know, uh, a de- development point of view in in terms of longevity for a team. But it came too too soon. And yes, I can sit here now, ten ma- ten match days later, and say, well, <laughs> that is what you should have done. I was skeptical at the time, but yeah, it's it's sort of. Once once Werder saw this sort of 
two, three, four, five matches being lost on the bounce. Yeah, that that's when they should have done something and not gone on forever and ever and just saying, you know, we believe in following Kofeld time and time again and then sort of almost firing him after the match against Mainz, but then sort of making a 180 and saying, well, we do believe that he deserves another final. And uh, even though that final was lost, they say, well, the team played well enough for him to stay in this job. Uh, it's, um, yeah, I mean, there are too many mistakes made and all of those mistakes turn out to be costly. And um, the match in itself, well, Werder, they could have gotten a two two goals in, 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 the, in the first half of the match. Gladbach were effective, but in the end, seeing that the entire 90, 90 minutes on, I, I, I would say that Gladbach walked out deserved winners of that match, to be honest. Yeah, hard to argue with that. Hard to argue. Um, let's, let's, little, let's think a little bit about what might the future might hold for Bremen. We, we can probably talk about, you know, what the, the, the super duper Zweite Liga, uh, in, in a moment when we sort of take in, uh, the fact that you might also even have Cologne down there. Uh, but this is a team that is in some financial trouble. It's a team that, um, you know, has fairly limited assets. I'm looking at a list of players that, you know, were published in, in Kicker as a, as a potential list of guys who will be leaving. Milat Rashica, Yuji Pavlenka. Ludwig Augustinsson, Marco Friedel, Milos Velkovic, Emre Toprak, Maxi Eggestein, Leonardo Bittencourt, Yuya Osako, Josh Sargent. You know, that there is some quality in there. I don't know. Is, is selling all of those guys? I mean, you could probably fill up most of your financial hole by doing that. But you might also, you know, come in 16th in the Zweite Liga if you do that. I mean... Yeah, it's it's going to be a question about bringing in experienced campaigners in, who are used to that level and uh, bringing in players with an upside. And um, I mean, if we do, do sort of a deep dive into the problems that have been ailing Werder, I mean, the last decade has seen Werder Bremen finish in the top half of the table on three occasions. So this was a long time coming, you could say. I mean, yes, you can sort of look at the season and argue about what went wrong and say, well, potentially this team could have finished 12th if they done played their cards right after match day 24. But if you've been in this sort of same quagmire for an entire decade, it's sort of sort of surprising that this wasn't going to happen at some point, isn't it? Right. But one one of the problems that has been sort of ailing Bremen over, over the over the last few years is, is the fact that the scouting has been off. Once, you know, Frank Baumann signed guys like Rashica and he signed guys like Thomas Delaney, uh, of late he's been signing Leonardo Bittencourt and Omar Tokrak, and uh, you see what that's gotten you, basically. <laughs> Additionally, you have to say that Florian Kofold's absolute wish to sign Nicholas Fulkrug is understandable in terms of what sort of player he can be at his best. But as I said on a Norwegian podcast uh, just the other day, um, if you look, take a look at the injury list that Nicholas Fulkrug has of on on transfer market, you can you know you can read uh, James Joyce's collected works uh, four times over and still not be done with uh, the injury list of Nicholas Fulkrug at the same time. All right, yeah, you're going highbrow. I like it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no reason why I shouldn't keeping this classy, right? So you know when when it comes to hiring players, it there, there have been many mistakes that have been made. Additionally, the Nachwuchsleistungszentrum 
the uh, NWZ uh, has sort of been a, a problem that has been following the club over the last decade, and there've, there's been a lot of talk about you know we need to we need to refurbish it, we need to you know uh, rebuild it, we we need to modernize it, and it hasn't happened, and that has cost the club in terms of player development too. So in in the case of Bremen, you when you look at Werder and Schalke, two big clubs go going down. With Schalke, you think, okay, yes, they have something to fall back on here. They have youth players. They have a certain quality at their core. And that's not necessarily there with Werder Bremen. So that, there's where the problems are at the moment. And additionally, given that the scouting has been off and given that but since Tim Steit left, that the sort of creative transfers have dried up, you're not necessarily confident that the same bunch of guys who are... are at the club who have been responsible for the last two or three seasons are going to do a bang-up job in the Bundesliga too. Yeah, it seems pretty worrisome that uh, at least early indications are that uh, Frank Baumann is going to stay on for that Zweite uh, Bundesliga season. It seems quite questionable. Yeah, well, the, the, the reasoning here, uh, and Marco Borda explained that, is that the board at, at the, that is currently at the club, they should have been re-elected during this season, but that hasn't happened because of COVID. Oh, they postponed um, it for they've postponed okay. it until next season which means that there is going to be a membership meeting somewhere in during the autumn which means that if all of this chaos that i've just described isn't enough and now we're really looking we're really moving towards sort of Köln level of chaos here what could happen potentially is that the fans vote out the current board, bringing in a new board, and that board is going to say, well, Frank Baumann, we don't believe that you've been the right man in the right place, and we want you to pack your things and leave your offices immediately. Which sounds like a terrific idea, given what's been going on over the last couple of seasons. But, you know, that leaves you with uh, another payout that you have, you know, huge payout, even though it's contrary, I think it's up in 2022. But, and additionally... Who do you bring in? Who is a great squad planner who looks at Werder Bremen right now and says, "Yeah, yeah, I, I want to, I want to get into the middle. I want to get stuck into the middle of that mess. I, I really want to. I mean, Horst Held comes to mind, and uh, that's never a good sign. Yeah, not to mention if if they were to do that, that would be after another transfer window full of potential <laughs> malpractice by Palin. Uh, let's let's broaden this a little bit because you know while I do love to hear your diagnosis of <laughs> the problems of Werder Bremen. I think you you made mention of, of of a potential deep dive. I think I think that should be in this podcast's future. You just maybe maybe you and Flo, Nick, need to have need to have an extended like two three part podcast we've actually dm'd about that and uh, oh, yeah that, that's, that's gonna probably be going to happen over the summer and it's it's a bit like a doctor walking into the to a nursing home saying yeah this patient has multiple organ failure yeah yeah all right but so we did have two other teams who are sort of in in a very similar boat Schalke, reese who happened to be a team you have a a sympathy for uh, as they were playing against Cologne on the weekend. Uh, Schalke didn't have anything to play for other than pride or perhaps you know uh, uh, mutually assured destruction. Uh, they weren't quite able to make that happen. Cologne got a win in super dramatic fashion. Actually, uh, they had a late goal disallowed by VAR. Then they had an even later goal which did count, scored by uh, Sebastian Bornau. 
the guy who, you know, only was put into an induced coma for 24 hours due to complications following a, a back operation like four months ago. So no big deal. That got them into the relegation playoff. They are going to face Holstein Kiel on, uh, you know, Wednesday and Saturday. But Reese, this is shaping up to be a, a really weird and really great potentially season in the Zweite Bundesliga next year. You're going to have Schalke. You're going to have Bremen. You might have Cologne if they can't get past Kiel. You got the big time teams who haven't quite made it out of that uh, division in recent years. You know, Hamburg, Nuremberg, St. Pauli, Hanover 96, Dusseldorf, not to mention uh, Dresden, Rostock coming up from the third division. This is going to be a blockbuster. Yeah, absolutely. I was I was discussing with Nick actually before we come on that th- this could well be the biggest Schweizer Bundesliga that there has been. And one of the things that I've been reading a lot about actually is that there's there's quite a lack of of you know coverage from from the DFB to to push the Schweizer Bundesliga. But when you have the sheer amount of teams that are going to be in it next year, I really feel like there needs to be more coverage to show this because, of course. In reality, there is so many big teams now in the Zweite Bundesliga that some people have even said it's actually going to be, you know, far more competitive than the Bundesliga itself. Yeah, I think that Schalke have more of a chance than, than Werder of, of coming back up straight away, bouncing straight back up. But I think it's going to be one of those where if, if they don't bounce straight back up, then I think they're going to be there for a long time, like Hamburg and getting into all sorts of bother. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, looking, looking at the constellation right now, I'm, I'm sort of hoping that Heidenheim and Paderborn go up next season, that we have two other big teams going down like Stuttgart and I don't know, uh, Hertha or Frankfurt or something don't, like that. Don't say that. Don't know. No. And, uh, no. Just well, we're gonna, we're gonna erase that from the podcast. Uh, maybe not Hertha. Let's, let's say Stuttgart and Frankfurt then. There you go. There you and go. Uh, having like Kaiserslautern, 1860 Munich go up from the third tier next season as well. Look at that Bundesliga too. That would have been like the Bundesliga from the 90s and earlier early 2000s, pretty much with all it's missing basically being Bayern and Dortmund and uh, and Freiburg. But when you look at when you look at the teams in the Bundesliga right now, you have a lot of sides that are like that tiny clubs with you know dedicated following, but they're not really ha- they don't really have a national following like Mainz, Augsburg. Then you have a lot of plastic teams: Wolfsburg, Hoffenheim, Bayer Leverkusen. Additionally, you have sort of like the two big clubs, Dortmund and Bayern, who are sort of international, yeah, juggernauts that sort of have left the sphere of German football and are going global. And you look at the Bundesliga too and you think, well, hang on, in terms of relatability and in terms of the sort of fan following you have surrounding those clubs that are currently in it, we we could have also mentioned Karlsruhe, for instance, who are in the Bundesliga too as well. And you think, well, hang on, uh, Fürth in the Bundesliga and RB Leipzig, another one of those plastic teams, and you look all you look all the way down to the Bundesliga too and think, well, yeah, this is actually in terms of, of the devotion that is there, there should be a potentially a much bigger market for this than the DFL seems to think currently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and as well I think that, you know, a time where the Bundesliga is often criticized for its lack of competitiveness, of course there needs to be as many of these 
of its big clubs as it can in, in the top flight to at least try to topple Bayern. And I think if you look at European football this season, there were so many, you know, in France with Lille, uh, Italy with Inter, Portugal, we had a new champion, Sporting, and Spain, we had Atletico. I think the Bundesliga really missed out in that respect. Um, and having a, a number of its big clubs in, now in the second division is only going to make the, this problem worse. Yeah, this is uh, this is this is a point. The, the Eintracht Frankfurt board spokesman, who has not been a huge high-profile person for most of his tenure, but you know we've heard from him a little bit in the the fallout of Freddie Bobic and and uh, Adi Hütter leaving that club under you know something of a cloud, and now he's started talking about this is Axel Hellman is the guy's name, although that doesn't really matter too much. Saying he had big worries about the Bundesliga moving forward with so many big clubs going down and, and basically saying that, you know, if you don't have a sort of, I don't know, a quorum of clubs that, you know, both travel well, you know, that bring, you know, four or five, 6,000 away fans that don't get television ratings within Germany and globally. I mean, I'm not entirely convinced that, you know, I don't know. Werder Bremen is it's it's a lovely club and and it's very popular not only in Bremen but you know it is does have a national following. Their their successes in in the 90s and the aughts earned them a national following. But globally, you know, there's probably as many people who care about Leverkusen as Bremen just because they've been in the Champions League as much as they have been. But I definitely think that within Germany, I mean I I I can speak from experience that like before I lived in Germany and understood the sort of lay of the land, I didn't understand that Leverkusen wasn't a big club. I thought that they were because they were always in the Champions League. They made it to a damn final, you know, 20 years ago. I thought that they were a big club. And then when I got to Germany, I was quickly, quickly made to understand that this was not a big club. This was a plastic club. They were a joke. No, no, Matthews. They are plastic. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I, I feel like he does have a big point when it comes to both domestic television ratings, gate revenue, media interest in general. I think it's a huge problem for, you know, it's going to be great for the Zweite Bundesliga. That's great. But it's going to be bad for the, the Erste Bundesliga, not to have Schalke, not to have Bremen, maybe not Cologne either. I mean, when you have Werder Bremen take on HSV, you have um, a Northern Derby, which is a historic event. Additionally, you have a Cup Winners' Cup winner from 94 and a Champions League winner from eighty. Uh, 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 80- Eight, two, eight, something? Yeah, 81, 82, yeah. from Ernst Hoppel's days playing against each other. So you have two teams that have won international honours. And let, let's just remind ourselves that Werder Bremen and uh, Haas Fau played uh, a UEFA Cup semi-final back in 2009 against each other. That's 12 years ago. And Werder went to that final and narrowly lost to Shakhtar Donetsk. So you have two clubs that have won international honours. Huge following, maybe not as huge abroad as as it once was, but still. I mean, a lot of people care about Werder Bremen in Norway, for instance, because you have Rune Brotzett, who's been at the club and who's been a, been a stalwart of that club. A lot of people care about HSV abroad because you know they they have a certain type of uh, memory about that club. I mean, it's 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 sort of starting to be the older generation, but still, a lot of people care about that. And and generally speaking, matches of uh, Werder Bremen and HSV are more watched in Norway. I, I can't cannot speak to other countries, but I know that in in Norway they're more watched than, for instance, Mainz and Fürth. 
Yeah, well, they 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 like northern things, you know, in 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 Norway. You know, it's 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 closer to to them, you know. And I, to speak to to Hamburg and their their enduring popularity, which is really not not enduring so well. I've said it before. I think Hamburg have the best badge in world <laughs> football. I love it. It's the simplest. Like I love the fact that there's no letters, there's no words. It's it's a very simple geometric thing. I've got a lot of time for the Hamburg. Badge. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not quite there, but um, <laughs> <laughs> no, not surprised. Well, talking about badges, how about that Amenia badge? That that's that's great too. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a it's a pennant, which you know I, I I'm, I'm partial to flag badges and pennants are also very nice. They got a two nil win on the weekend. They defeated Fafish. Stuttgart, uh, you know, sort of another surprise team of the season uh, on their own terms. They, these are the, the two promoted sides, and, and Stuttgart certainly outplayed expectations, but I guess that's a little bit less surprising considering their resources and the people who are behind their project. Whereas Bielefeld, most people, and I would even venture to say quite a few Bundesliga fans, although maybe not the most committed of them, don't know who anybody is at Bielefeld. They don't know who the coach is, the sporting director is, half the players. But still, they were able to earn themselves another season in the top flight, which I think is a spectacular achievement, especially when you look at the fact that their player budget, 16 million euros, which is lower than the record signing figure for a single player, <laughs> For most of the teams in the Bundesliga, I think I, I looked at it. Eleven teams in the Bundesliga have, at one point in time, in usually in recent years, considering the way prices go, signed a player who cost more than the entire team of Bielefeld. Reese, how did they do it? They they did it for firstly for the all time leading goal scorer and, and Mr. Bielefeld, who we've spoken about many times, uh, the hero Fabian Klose again, an, another player that was overcome by the emotion. He was in tears at the final whistle. And of course, Ritsu Doan got the other man. I think they need they need to try their best to try and sign him on a permanent basis. Of course, he's only on loan from, from PSV in the Netherlands. Uh, I think many people thought that the the sacking of, of Uwe Neuhaus was, was quite strange, um, given the circumstances. I know they had been on a, a, a run where they hadn't won matches for, for a short period of time. But then Frank Kramer come in and, and he's done brilliantly. And of course, Bielefeld are, you know, Germany's biggest yo-yo or, or lift team. And so to finally achieve another season in the top flight is a, is a, is a small step to, to getting rid of that title. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, in terms of Bielefeld, um, they always stay true to that being well-organized and being a team unit. Uh, this was truly a proper team from, from start to finish. And uh, even lone players like Arne Meyer, uh, who didn't get an awful lot of playing time, didn't complain too much about that. Uh, and when a new coach came in and suddenly he started getting playing time, he performed rather well for them on, on the pitch. So all things considered, I think the reason why Bielefeld are still in the league is, is the fact that they actually managed to pull off quite impressive transfers. I mean, some of those transfers, you know, getting a player from the Netherlands is always a gamble because the speed is not the same. The level of technique is not the same. Players are given more time on the ball. So adjusting to all those things is always going to be tricky. And you, even though you have your Scout account and you see those numbers, you cannot really tell if an individual is ready to make that, you know, next step into a league like the Bundesliga. But the players a site like Bielefeld have to sign are necessarily going to come from those backgrounds where you're not 
always can tell whether or not a player is going to be ready to make the next step. Seeing at the signings they've made, you you can all you can say is that they've actually hit the mark rather well with most of their signings, and that is the reason why they are still in the Bundesliga. And uh, pulling that off year in and year out is going to be tricky. But hey, there are other examples like Freiburg, for instance, who have sort of a similar track record of you know not having an awful lot of money at their disposal, making those sort of signings, but still being able to be in the Bundesliga most of the time. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm quite impressed by this by this achievement. I, I gave them next to no chance of sticking around in the league prior to the season when I knew they were going to be up. And I agree that they have have made some shrewd moves. Uh, I, however, worry a little bit that some of their biggest standout performers, whether that be you know Ritsu Doan, who I think you know his parent club might be more interested in getting a, a payday from a somewhat bigger club than selling him at a bargain price to uh, Bielefeld. I also think you know they might have a little bit of trouble now that he is seemingly in uh, you know. On the fringes of the Germany team, Stefan Ortega, their goalkeeper, who I think uh, is is probably responsible for I don't know how many points uh, toward their uh, their 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 ride to safety, but several. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get some looks from bigger teams either. Yeah, he's got, I think it was eleven clean sheets he ended up with. Uh, many people, which was the third highest in the league, two more than than Manuel Neuer, and as well, many people had him in in their team of the season actually. Um, and I think it was it was a toss up between him or, or Galachki. But talking of signings, they did actually they signed Yanni Serra from Holstein Kiel. They signed him in January, so he will be joining the club at the end of the season as backup for if if Doan and the like don't sign permanently. Well, we we'll we'll see. We'll see if he uh, turns out to be the same sort of schnipschen. All right, we'll be right back. Here comes part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. This was match day 34, the final match day. And, you know, we talked about the sort of shocking, laudable, all those good things, uh, achievement of, of Bielefeld to stay in the league. If anything, I think this might even be bigger. It's Union Berlin. They were 2-1 winners over RB Leipzig on the final day of the season. Uh, Max Kruse got the goal that they needed to uh, get themselves into the UEFA Europa Conference League. You know, which, which I, I'm not going to say that the, the achievement that I think that they got to, that the reward is necessarily going to match up with that. We, we all know, especially what Max Kruse thinks of the UEFA Europa Conference League. But nonetheless, I think we all probably know what limited resources SFC Union Berlin operate under. This is a club whose, you know, budget for players is, you know, much closer to the ballpark of Armenia Bielefeld than it is to, you know, <laughs> either of the two teams who uh, went down automatically. You know, obviously, because this is a team who who plays in the same city as the team that I like, it, it feels a little bittersweet because it feels like they've <laughs> they've pipped us to something. 
But I, you know, I, I have a ton of time for the way that this team played its season. They, they basically started off well and they looked good. And many people, including me, thought that they were going to fade at a certain point. They did not. This has been a team who's been basically in the top half all season, who have played at very least competent football, and they richly deserve this. Absolutely. I mean, they're, fade, they're faded slightly, though. Let's let's be honest. Uh, we you know we had some discussions on this podcast. Are Union Berlin ready for the Champions League? <laughs> you know, so they're, they're not quite there. I don't know what came over. <laughs> 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 yes, probably some Berliner Kindle or something, but yeah, they, they've 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 played a stable season, a competent season, and they actually developed uh, from last season where they were just sort of a very nasty side to play against into a side that actually plays great football too. Um, you know, signing a guy like Max Kruse, truly um, great signing. You know what you get from him? He's thirty three years old, but you know what you get from him? He delivered Eight, eleven goals, five assists. He's been involved in a lot of good uh, going forward. And additionally, he's the sort of player who ties, you know, defense and attack rather well together, you know, in those counter-attacking moments. Additionally, the captain, Christopher Trimmel, standout player for me as well. Maybe not necessarily playing in a position that is oftentimes recognized for producing great players, but I think he's been absolutely terrific. And uh, his set-piece delivery has been one of the best, if not the best, in the Bundesliga all season long. So yeah, I think I've I've a lot of time for Union Berlin and the season they've played. And uh, additionally, beating a side like RB Leipzig to secure a place in the glorious Europa UEFA Conference League is uh, is brilliant, 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 well deserved. Congratulations to to Kerpenik. And I I thought it was particularly I thought it was interesting that you know I remember when Union first went up into the Bundesliga their first opponents were RB Leipzig and there was uh, you know a partial um you know fan boycott of the game or they they were silent for you know a certain period of time to sort of you know protest the 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 presence of this you know fake ass team in our real ass stadium it was very interesting to me that you know Union had gone from basically wanting to show that they had no respect for uh, Leipzig to this week leading up to the game. There's a big controversy that erupted over whether they would be allowed to have fans in the ground because I guess, you know, the local authorities were considering letting fans in as part of a pilot project and Union's been sort of champing at the bit all season to get people back. It was ironic to see them. We really want to get back in the stadium <laughs> so we can see our team play Leipzig. That's what happens when you when you suddenly uh, have a chance of playing with uh, not the big boys of Europe and not even the, uh, you know, tall boys of Europe but you know the um, sort of middle heights the sort of boys that are around six feet <laughs> well even even though there was only 2,000 in the stadium when you know watching that game on TV when when Cruiser scored the whole stadium just erupted and it, it sounded like it was it was full as it, as it usually is you know you can only imagine what it would have been like to have been there for that I think when they when they lost Anderson at the end of last season I thought that, you know, it was going to be one of those one-season wonders and they might suffer from this so-called, you know, second-season syndrome that you see for for a lot of these promoted clubs throughout Europe. But, yeah, they've defied the odds. Yeah, and just to sort of put us on, on track here, I mean, we we poke a lot of fun at the UEFA Europa Conference League 
Max Cruza has been known to poke some fun at the UEFA Europa Conference League. But I'm looking at some of these teams who are are set to to enter these playoffs, and there's there's a lot of no joke teams. I mean, you know, they're in there with the likes of AS Roma, Tottenham Hotspur, Villarreal, uh, Stade Rennes, Anderlecht. Ruben Kazan, these are teams that are basically European-quality teams. I can maybe not say that for the likes of, uh, you know, Servette or Rijeka or Molda, with apologies to Molda. Don't you come I know they, they got a big scalp from the Bundesliga earlier this don't season. Don't you yes, come I know here this. and say something nasty. Yeah, yeah, well, I actually don't like Molda. So, yeah, say all the nasty things you like about them. Thank you. Thank you. You're a, you're a, you're a Viking fan, so. I, I, am, I am a Viking fan, and... Uh, yeah, it's uh, you know Molde, uh They they've had a lot of involvement of uh, Schelling Rücke, who is a Norwegian rich guy. <laughs> and yeah, you know, you know what I think about rich people getting into football. Uh, it's uh, seldomly uh, a, a good thing. But yeah, I think I mean my fear for that competition. I mean those names sound great, and Villarreal aren't they actually in the final of the Europa League? Which means that they still sort of have a chance of getting a Champions League spot. True, true. So they're they're not a shoe in, in in that regard. But my problem with that competition is is are those teams are are they going to take it seriously? Is it, is it the sort of chance for you know them to play their third or fourth string players, give, giving their sort of nineteen year olds? who are looking promising a run out to see if they one day, maybe one glorious day can sort of sit on the bench during a Serie A match or something. Or are they going to take it seriously and are they going to give it a good go? Because if they do, and with that list of teams, you know, you might get some enticing matches. But yeah, I when, when, I, when I heard that UEFA was going to bring back a third competition, I was sort of like hoping that the Cup Winners' Cup would come back because that would have been truly entertaining yeah and considering where i guess you know the, the the other participants in the german cup uh ended up this year you know who, who knows who knows would have been who would have been drawn into that competition holstein kieler Werder. i would have loved it <laughs> exactly have a holstein kieler Werder. whoever wins their first uh zweite bundesliga match of the season gets to, gets to play in the cup winners cup playoff between holstein kiel and Werder bremen to play in the cup winners cup would have been epic all right there there's a few more uh games to briefly give some mention to i mean one bizarre set of circumstances i guess you know dortmund and Leverkusen, it was a 3-1 win for Dortmund. This, I'm sure, was a game that the DFL thought to themselves, that, oh man, this, this, this maybe will be the, 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 the game that decides uh, second place or third place and, or Champions League qualification. This is going to be a humdinger. It was not. It was, it, it was basically a dead rubber. You know, it, it involved a little bit of, of, of excitement. You had a, a double from Ellie Holland. You had another goal from Marco Royce. He's, Staying on a tear, and you had a really nice moment for uh, you know Bender number one and two, sort of. Reese, you want to explain uh, exactly what happened here because it it kind of did involve both of them. Yeah, exactly. In the final minutes of the game, Sven Bender uh, came off and was replaced by his brother Lars Bender, and Leverkusen had a penalty, and with his first first touch, um, Bender stepped up to take the penalty. And he truly converted into the corner, but but Berkey was, you know, he just stood still. And after after Bender has scored, Berkey comes up to him and and you know gives him a hug, and and it was a farewell for for the Bender twins. Um, 
They're quite young, really. I think 32, the pair of them. Um, it's quite young to retire, especially in, in the modern game, but they've been plagued by injuries over time. But it, it was a great farewell. A lot of people were criticizing it, I see. But I don't think it was, you know, it was, as you, as you mentioned, it was a, de- it was a deadbeat game anyway. And Dortmund had already won the game. So, you know, there, there's no harm in that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like an injury time penalty kick when you're three nil up, like there's nothing wrong with letting one in for a cup, you know, a guy who's had a pretty legendary career. No, not, not at all. And, uh, additionally, I, I did like the scene after the match when, uh, Erling Haaland actually got got the kit, the the, the referee's kit of uh, Manuel Grefe, who actually had his last last match in charge in the Bundesliga, which you know I think is a bit of a, I think those age limits for referees with Grefe and Winkmann, two very capable Bundesliga referees on on their way out, you have to rethink that in my mind because um, honestly, letting Manuel Grefe go. One of the best referees in the Bundesliga is uh, it's it's not it's not it's not a good thing because you want him there. You you know you could I could well imagine him being capable physically speaking for another two three four five years maybe. So having that age limit of forty seven, come on, get rid of it. And yeah, I, what just just install a. You know, a physical fitness test or something like well, that. But there like, are you know, those. There are those. I mean, that's what I mean. Like, why would you have something that supersedes the actual, you know, functional results of of a test that is meant to show whether someone's up to the job? I mean, I get it that they want to bring new blood in. They want to sort of provide a bit of artificial churn. But, like, <laughs> yeah, Greifa is, like, he's been the best Bundesliga referee for years. Yeah, I mean... Why would we do this? I mean, I, I followed him at the start of his career where he was sort of a bit nervy and not really assured of himself, but that comes with age. That comes with, you know, having been in charge of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of matches. And once you've got that experience, why let it go if the guy is still capable of, you know, do all the running and, you know, seeing all the stuff that he needs to see? It's it's really beyond me. And, and several people in the Bundesliga have actually said themselves that they want Grefe to stay on for at least another couple of seasons but hey the DFB the says he has to go so um, you know he himself is going to spend more time with his family and uh, that's probably a good thing for his family I hope. I hope so too another big farewell uh, not as, as sort of you know successful not capped off with a, a, a late goal but uh, Sammy Kadira had his last game he's not just you know uh, leaving his team or the Bundesliga. He's leaving football like the Bender twins are. Uh, he played one last game for uh, Hertha BSA in a 2-1 loss to Hoffenheim. Very, very little at stake in that game considering Hertha were already safe and Hoffenheim were you know, in no man's land. Nice gesture there too. Bunch of folks on the Hertha bench decided to dress up in all the different teams for which Kadira had played. He, they had, you know, a Stuttgart jersey, a Real Madrid jersey, Juventus, a couple of German national team shirts. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was pretty neato, uh, considering it, this is a player who, let's face it, only played for the team for half of the season and, you know, was injured slash unfit for much of it. But I think, um, you know, behind the scenes, apparently from, from all accounts, he was actually quite instrumental in sort of giving this team a little bit of team spirit, which they were sorely lacking. 
uh, up until then. Any thoughts about the sort of end of an era aspect of this? I mean, we're having Kadira leaving football, Bender Twins leaving football, uh, Jerome Boateng leaving Bayern. Who knows what his next stop will be? But we also had, you know, these are German national teamers who were sort of, you know, fairly core to, to the sort of German national team project, the one that capped off a big win in 2014. But you also, you know, we, we mentioned Javi Martinez. We mentioned David Alaba. I mean, this is, uh, this is a bit of a changing of the guard moment. It is. And I think what we have seen over the last few years is that the Bundesliga sort of has more and more relied on foreign talent over the years. Uh, there have been fewer and fewer players coming from the youth ranks. And um, I read an interview with uh, one of the guys who is in charge of um, developing the next step of how to make uh, talent development better in, in Germany. And what he said in an interview in, the, in that interview with Elf Freunde was that um, we are probably going to be all right for the next couple of tournaments. But after that, some of the greatest players are going to retire and um, we are going to experience uh, a drought in international football and at the national team level. And uh, you sort of st start to see the beginning of that drought when you see stalwarts of the game like Kadira and the Bend Twins retire. And what you're thinking is, well, who is coming up behind those guys? Who is going, who's going to take up their roles in the national team? And... Uh, yeah, they're, they're not really many great answers, are there? So for, for German football, um, it's sort of like a, a bit of soul-searching is required in a, in a moment where we have, as we discussed in part one, so many great teams in the Bundesliga 2. Additionally, we do see fewer German players coming through the ranks. And to top it all off, you know, we, we have a league that has been not really as exciting as it could have been in terms of, um, you know, the championship race, because it's, it's sort of been a one-horse one race for the last nine years. And um, all of those things combined leaves us with a lot of questions and uh, very few answers, really. Yeah, if you don't have competition at the top and you don't have big-name superstars, and let's face it, Robert Lewandowski, I know he's the kind of guy who might want to play till he's 40-something, but at some stage, he is either going to retire or leave Bayern. I will only hope that they can figure out a way to fill the hole either of stars or of competition. If, if they don't, this league is in trouble. Yeah, and Jan Fieter Arp, the guy who was uh, sort of <laughs> said to be um, the next back uh, striker from Germany, he is, um, you know, we looked at his stats before we started recording and he's uh, mostly played in the third tier for Bayern, uh, Bayern's second string, Bayern 2. The side that has been relegated this season, and um, he's, he's featured in twenty matches, and um, twelve of which he was subbed onto the pitch. And you know that that is the guy for who was tipped to be the next big thing coming out of Germany two or three years ago. Yeah, there's there's certainly um, there's certainly going to be a lot of groundwork that has to be done over the next few years, and we won't see the result of that groundwork for the next five to ten years, really, if we're being honest. All right, a uh, couple of couple of couple of more games here. Wolfsburg, they were uh three two losers to Mites at home. Might have had a slight dip in motivation for this game, considering they were uh safely qualified for the Champions League. But I don't want to take anything away from, you know, Svensson Mania. It is a fever, it is catching, it's uh it's 
it's it's a powerful force. Any thoughts, Reese, about I, I kind of asked this question of Terry, who was on last weekend, about you know is the sky the limit for mites coming up next year, or or should we be a little bit more cautious about where this team is headed? Because man, they have been spectacular in the Rokunda. Yeah, I think we should probably you know lean towards the side of caution because I mean, of course. The, the stat that never gets old is, you know, minus seven points from the opening 17, which included just one win. And that was actually no coach in the history of, of the Bundesliga had, had managed to keep a team up from that point. And I've, you know, a few, a few things and stuff that I've read, I, I think could actually be the, or if not definitely up there with the biggest turnaround in, in the history of the Bundesliga. Because if you if you look at the second half of the season, you know it, it was enough for for a Champions League finish. The Svensson's got them so much more organised at the back, and at the same time, they're a lot more threatening going forward. Um, where they go next season, I think depends a lot again on 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 the transfer activity. Um, they've they've lost Danny Latzer, who was you know he's he's aging slightly anyway. I'm not sure how many more years he had at, at Bundesliga level in him, um, but keeping hold of players like Quaison. And, uh, and Boetius, who's been fantastic in the second half of the season, will be the key, I think. Yep, yep. There's question marks, too, over over Wolfsburg uh, <laughs> at a much higher level, let's just say. They, they will be in the Champions League. This is a club that has been known to uh, do some spending uh, in their day. They've They've – not exactly broken the bank compared to others, but when I was looking for that uh, record signing uh, data uh, that I brought up earlier about the the Bielefeld thing, they do appear a number of times. They have they have spent some money. I wouldn't be surprised if they found somebody to spend some money on, but uh, <laughs> there is a little bit of question marks hanging over their coaching situation. Oliver Glasner uh, played very coy after the last game of the season. Everyone seems to think he is leaning toward leaving. The circumstances that would allow that to happen are not super clear contractually, but it seems that might be uh, the way things are going. Mark van Bommel, former Bayern bruiser, uh, is allegedly the, the the first choice to replace him. What what do you make of the fact that you know that's a real left turn? I would think from Oliver Glasner, who does not strike me as, you know, a, a, a big stick waver. You know, he's more of a speak softly in my view, although you, you do hear him shouting on the sidelines sometimes. I'm not sure that, that a guy like that is, uh, is, is what it, this, this kind of a club needs. I don't know. <laughs> well, but isn't it always the way when, uh, when a team from, from the upper half of the Bundesliga table looks for a new coach, the name Mark van Bommel pops up. <laughs> it's sort of been happening for the last couple of seasons and uh it's it hasn't materialized so far so um yeah i've well in, in terms of glasner leaving it's it's been a talked about issue for the last two three four months especially in the light of adi hutter michael rosa leaving and you know the oh, it's been been a game of musical shares really in in terms of the coaching positions in the in the league but the question is where would oliver glasner go within germany what would be better right right about now uh, i don't see many options what about eintracht frankfurt well there you go not better but maybe maybe pretty good they also are looking for a new coach and they haven't quite sorted that out they did get 
you know, they did get a 3-1 win on the last day of the season over Freiburg, which, you know, considering they had not played well, you know, they got that 3-1 win just not in time. You know, just in time for it not to matter anymore. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I do, I, I do tend to agree with uh, Freddie Bobich who said that this season was a was a definite A plus. Uh, in terms he said of it was D. an A, but not an A plus. An A plus. Oh, an A, an A, an A. Wow, well, there you go. It was, it was an A, but um, yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with him because given the resources and given the four teams that have qualified for the Champions League, uh, Eintracht are pretty much where they could be at their best potentially and uh the fact that they're not in the champions league well it's it's probably hurting their fans but uh when you see the entire season and the way it's been played out i i think uh yeah they they it's it's hard to argue them with the fact that it's been a brilliant season by them i think i think you've got to be gutted though if you are <laughs> an eintracht fan after where they were and as well, you see, you see, we've seen all these new names taking up posts in German football, particularly at the, the top end of the table. And Frankfurt, I think, uh, appear to be the ones that have missed out, you know, obviously both on the pitch and also now now off it as well. And whether Tears it does go to Frankfurt, many feel, you know, he's, he's, he's done too much to be subordinate to the incoming Rosa. But I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that this role is for him. Perhaps, you know, I think, Wolfsburg might be a, a better fit. Glasner as well, that you said, I think that seems to have gone now. Glasner uh, emerged as the early favourite, but I think that ship seems to have sailed. There's been a, a talk, some talk of some others coming into the frame, like Daniel Farker from Norwich, and also Raul is the latest to emerge. Uh, I'm not sure how that one will go. Okay, that is a wrap for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by our main man, Aiden Rantoul. Nick, Reese. lovely to have you both back on the show. Great to be back. And, uh, you know, one plug. Uh, I don't know if any of you have actually um, realized what I've been doing since the start of the, of the year. I've, I've actually managed to drop in song references to German songs uh, since the start of January. So uh, I'll, I'll be posting a a list of those songs on Spotify, on Twitter, and on our Facebook page uh, coming up. So you can see if you can spot any of those references in our, uh, what was it, 20, 20 plus episodes from, from this season. Yeah. I love it, man. This has been your, your, your Easter egg uh, ongoing project for, for the past, I don't know how many weeks. So I, I'm, I'm really glad to see the payoff. I, I can't wait to listen to the playlist. Reese, it is really great to have you back. I know that, you know, throughout probably the last several weeks of the season where things, games are coming quick and fast. Uh, we, you know, your frequent appearances for, you know, uh, rescued from oblivion sort of petered out, but you know, there's not much oblivion towards the end of the season. There's a lot at stake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I look forward to, uh, to coming back next time and, Get the oblivion going again. Yeah, if you like, you can you can also <laughs> you can also move center stage <laughs> if you like. <laughs> nice one. Uh, okay, you can find these two fellas basically. Uh, Nor musings, the, the familiar Twitter handle for Nick Vildhagen, uh, Reese Tigwell also on Twitter. I'm Mr. Matt Herman. Please do subscribe to this podcast. Please do rate us, review us, tell your friends about us. Do it. Bis zum nächsten Mal. Y'all.